Greetings, welcome, bienvenidos, hola, aloha, ni hao, namaste, konnichiwa, bonjour, buongiorno, sawadee, karab, guten tak, jau, wivi, vakat, bang, half a day, jai, janendra, privyet, salam, shalom, peace. Now, go vegan, peace how? Go vegan. This is Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden, commemorating our 20th anniversary now. That's right. This is the first vegan radio program ever. The first the first vegan show ever in mainstream media. 20 years ago, we started on KRLA in Los Angeles and then added on stations in San Francisco like Green 960 and The Quake and KYCY. And then the Air America Radio Network, GCN, and major stations all around the country. And here we are today, 20 years later, still doing it for the animals and uh, podcasting. And today, coming up on the show, we will be talking food. We'll be talking to Peggy Brousseau, who is the author of a wonderful new cookbook called The Contented Vegan. Contented. Hmm. Well, I mean, there is a certain a certain amount of contentment in just being vegan. I mean, I felt it, uh, well, uh, mistakenly, when I first became what I called vegetarian. I called it vegetarian because I was the first vegetarian, uh, in air quotes, or in air guitar quotes, uh, I ever knew. And uh, I didn't know much. You know, all I knew was there was a dead animal in my frying pan and uh, who, who, who didn't really look like a volunteer to be eaten by a bunch of Queens College of the City University of New York students, even if uh, the music on the record player, and yes, there was a, a record player, uh, <laughs> how long ago I was in college, huh? Music on the record player every Friday night. Even if the music was really great, you know, the uh, what would it have been? It would have been like the Allman Brothers Band, Neil Young, Crosby, Stills and Nash, Chicago, Joni Mitchell, James Taylor. You know, we were we were all laughing it up, you know. And uh, I looked down at the frying pan one Friday night and I said, "Wow, there's a body." There's a murder victim here. I don't think I can eat animals anymore. And in order for me to be content and not part of the violence and killing, I said, uh, I'm going to be a vegetarian. So um, I had that contentment uh, knowing or, or thinking I wouldn't be participating in the violence, but I you know, really didn't know much. At that moment, I thought, well, what do I eat now if I'm not eating dead animals? Um, first, I thought, well, maybe the oceans are here to feed us, so I'll eat creatures from the sea. Um, because generally speaking, I I hadn't noticed that they had faces, too, you know, when I was eating scallops or halibut or shrimp or whomever. But eventually, I came to the thinking that uh, these are creatures gasping for their breath also, they're being killed for me to be eaten, so I don't think the oceans are here to feed humans. Um, but, uh, you know, I continued to eat dairy and eggs because I didn't know. I didn't know. I, I thought it was actually kind 
for the cow to be milked, and, uh, you know, the uh, chickens were going to lay eggs anyway, so, <laughs> oh, if I only knew. It took me a while, huh? But, you know, there, there we were, um, back there, facing the frying pan, that dead body that started it all, one chicken that, uh, who would have imagined would lead eventually to the first vegan talk show in mainstream media. And, you know, I guess that night the chicken wasn't really disguised as food, not, you know, a round, uh, nondescript uh, cutlet, you know, uh, in the frying pan. The, I mean, the, you know, the, the, the body parts weren't disguised that night as a chicken cutlet might be, or a veal cutlet, or, you know, a meatball, or a burger. Who thinks of the animal, you know? And, uh... And doesn't cutlet sound so innocent anyway? It's a cutlet. A cutlet. <laughs> Ooh. Um, all I know is when I get a, get a paper cutlet, it's kind of painful. And then the cutlets that the animals have to endure. I don't think they're cutlets. I think they're major cuts. Huh? So, yeah, cutlet sounds so innocent. that You know, like lamb chop. Lamb chop, huh? That's... Or, uh, you know, a deli slice. How, how, you know, it's a deli slice. It's a slice. Who would have thought that we were slicing up a body, huh? You know, till you realize, who someone is getting his or her throat cut to become a cutlet. Someone is getting chopped up to become a lamb chop. And Mary had a little lamb whose fleece was white as snow. And everywhere that Mary went... Even the dinner table, the lamb was sure to go after uh, many chops, many chops. Mary must have gone to the butcher at some point, right, with that little lamb we, everywhere that Mary went. Ah. So, but do we ever really see the lamb when eating a lamb chop or leg of lamb? You know, who sees the animals being sliced to smithereens to become that deli slice on your sandwich and uh oh i see that there's this company that uh it's uh what's it called oh what did i do with it here it is i managed to try something from uh, unreal deli unreal deli is putting out uh oh, the, the real innocent uh, deli meats i tried the uh Roasted uh, turkey, all vegan, and the uh, corned beef. Pretty good. Pretty good. Certainly better than eating an animal, right? So, yes. So, um, anyway, uh, I did see someone, not something, in the frying pan on that fateful historic Friday night in our apartment in Bayside, Queens. And as I said, it was historic because essentially, 30 years later, it would lead to the first vegan talk show ever in mainstream media. After I learned what a true vegetarian was, which uh, I wasn't really because I continued to eat dairy and eggs, uh, and then Eventually, when I was living in San Antonio, Texas, uh, program director at a radio station there, Star 106, I got the real info. I got the real info there, you know, 
like I said, who sees the animals, right? You know, I was eating Mrs. Paul's fish sticks after I became a vegetarian. That was, you know, so so ridiculous. But who sees the animal? Um, and uh, yeah, fish gasping for breath, and then the dairy and the egg. Cesar Chavez. The great vegan superhero said that if you're doing it for the animals, you stop the dairy and eggs first. Um, you know, I didn't know. So I made a mistake. It was a 13-year mistake that you don't have to make. You can go directly to vegan uh, and be, well, you know, it, it was, I was contented, but it was a false contentment until the real contentment came Uh 13 years later, when I came across information from an animal organization in San Antonio. So, uh, the nightmare ended for me. And, uh, but you know, the nightmare didn't end for all the animals. So, well, I can be contented. I can be content in what I do. It's hard to be content when all the other mass killing is going on, uh, you know, so. <sighs> so now I must, even though I'm content, I, I feel like I, I have to engage in hate speech, <laughs> whatever that is, you know, I mean. I, I hate that I have to engage in hate speech now. Um, and, uh, you know, hate speech... Hate speech is, is supposedly banned from the social media. Uh, but hate speech, uh, whatever that is, is actually protected free speech. And when it comes to, uh, you know, what I have come to see as the real... Oh, so hard to be content when there's a fake animal rights movement. And I really had hoped that the pandemic would uh, shut down what's being sold to us as an animal rights movement. But not quite the case, you know, when it comes to this fake animal rights movement. Basically, a herd of animal betrayal specialists. I must engage in hate speech. As contented as I may be, um, I hate what what's happening to animals in the name of of animal rights and animal welfare. Uh, I also I I hate that I have to engage in hate speech. So maybe I shouldn't say that I I hate those groups and I hate the people in them. Um, maybe I can I can still love them, but I certainly hate their actions. And uh, I don't love hating their actions. I hate hating their actions. And I hate that their actions merit the reaction of hate. But they do. I hate that they betray animals. And I hate that they are deceptive about their betrayal. I hate that they represent themselves as animal advocates. I would imagine that the animals would hate their actions and deceptions if the animals weren't so sad and scared being the victims of their actions and deception. 
Oh, why couldn't it have been? Why couldn't the uh, pandemic or a scandemic or I mean a pandemic? Why? I mean, it it shut down so many so many good businesses. It shut down many uh, vegan restaurants. Why couldn't it have shut down the animal betrayal specialists? Perhaps it's because they become so wealthy in their betrayal of animals. <sighs> so, I mean, is there anything more sad, is there anything sadder than the most innocent among us, the most voiceless, the most harmless, being betrayed in a matter of life and death? where they're tortured, imprisoned, and killed with a stamp of approval from the cold-hearted fake animal rights movement. And it, it, it's just so sad, and it makes me... feels better to hate than to be sad, does it? So, anyway, I'll hate, I'll hate the actions that the fake animal rights movement pulls at the heartstrings or rips out the heartstrings through deception of those who really care about animals, who pull out that checkbook. The animal exploitation industry robbing the animals of the money that would support them. In the past, my hate speech has mainly been directed at the heinous organization, or actually a number of heinous organizations, but leading the way the Humane Society of the United States, which is uh, in actuality a livestock organization. It belongs to an international federation of livestock companies, the Humane Society of the United States, uh, a livestock organization, a rancher advocacy group, which was actually run by a pig farmer for quite a while there, Joe Maxwell, HSUS, distributing coupons for uh, discounts on pig bacon. This is what sold to us as the animal rights movement. And, and the poor people who want to help animals, you know, go write out checks and these, these corporations. And, you know, it seems like everything is corrupt now, right? Every, every... Every institution in the U.S. of A. is is totally corrupt. So why wouldn't the animal rights movement be that way, too? Why wouldn't the environmental movement be that way, too? Greenpeace and uh, Sierra Club and 350.org, all ignoring the real cure for climate change, that we all have to go vegan? No, but they're awash. They're awash in the money, too, rancher money. You know, like HSUS organizing a promotion called Hoofin' It, which was a tour of restaurants, each restaurant serving a different hoofed animal. Whew. Isn't that amazing? And then HSUS and its uh, cabal of uh, groupy groups promoting horrible campaigns. Of betrayal of animals like proposition two in california you know 
HSUS, yeah, HSUS actually saved SeaWorld when it was going down the toilet. It, it saved the egg industry when, when it was in trouble. And uh, it did. It brought along a cabal of groupie groups in disgusting and depraved campaigns against the interest of animals and for the interest of those who exploit animals and profit from the exploitation. So, I mean, shockingly, all of these animal betrayal specialists, again, you know, representing themselves, wearing the mask of animal advocacy. And, you know, as all of those groups, including the, the organization that organized the, the Animal Rights Conference, Farm, and Farm Sanctuary, and Mercy for Animals, and just a whole bunch of others who actually reversed their positions on a number of issues. Like, uh, they, they used to say, oh, enriched cages, they're, they're horrible for the welfare, the, the physical welfare, the mental welfare of birds, until suddenly they reversed their positions on those. And on cage-free eggs, they too, look at, look at Mercy for Animals, putting out information on how cruel cage-free eggs are, and then suddenly it gets millions of dollars in donations from the Open Philanthropy Project, and suddenly it's all for cage-free eggs. Well, any organization who supported cage-free eggs or Prop 2 or enriched battery cages or furnished cages, all of them are a fraud. They're, they're, they're a fraud. They're, they're fakes. They're, you know, it's a corruption. You know? It's amazing. And, uh, you know, all of these campaigns. And, uh, but they say, oh, we're the animal advocates. We protect animals. Well, you know, there's no differentiation between the animal advocates and the animal killers. They are one and the same. The industries profit when they get that so-called animal rights seal of approval, and it's it's disgusting. And uh, you know, it's, it it should you know cancel culture. Let's cancel this fake animal rights movement that rears its ugly head. You know, I mean, I was I was just trying to be you know enjoy my my isolation and alienation from the world be, behind my mask sitting around, you know, then, you know, of course I made a commitment to keep this show going as long as possible. Really, 20 years ago, I thought maybe it would last a couple of weeks and the radio stations that ran it would, you know, they'd hear what I was saying um, and think, wow, this is going to offend all of our advertisers, all of our restaurants and all, you know, the whole meat, dairy, fish and egg industry. So anyway... Who would have imagined that we go on for 20 years and then it turns out that really the kind of the, the worst enemy of the animals uh, is uh, the animal rights movement. It's really it's kind of pathetic. And I made a commitment to the animals that I would just keep this show going as long as possible because not only am I content being a vegan. Do I sound, <laughs> do I sound content today? Um, but. You know, I couldn't live with myself if I weren't a vegan. You know, if I were paying somebody to mutilate in prison and 
you know, slash someone's throat, kill someone. I couldn't feel too content about that. So there is that basic contentment of being vegan. And then not so content because everybody isn't vegan yet. And everybody who loves animals should be vegan. Everybody who cares about the environment should be vegan. Everybody who cares about his or her health, or his or her family's health should be vegan. So uh, what's the delay? The delay is we have an animal rights movement, a bogus fake animal rights movement that gives people an excuse not to go vegan. And it's disgusting. And so I must do the show and appeal to people. I don't know how appealing I am right now, but I'm appealing to people to go directly to vegan, go directly to saving the animals, the planet, and your health, and go around the animal betrayal specialists who get in the way and give you an excuse, you know, so, so I'll keep this show going, you know, as long as I can, gosh, I'm vegan now myself for 36 years, right? Is that right? I, no, 37 years, but who's counting? I went vegan back in San Antonio, what was it, 1984? I was at Star 106. So, so I keep the show going, and you know, I get, you know, I think, you know, I interview a lot of uh, really fantastic people. There are close to 650 free archives available right now at goveganradio.com where you can make a donation to support us. Uh, you know, there's, there's not that much money left over once all of these horrendous, fraudulent animal rights groups, pseudo-animal rights groups, the fake animal rights movement, steals all the money away from actually helping animals. And the only way money can really help animals is through vegan education and supporting sanctuaries. Everything else uh, goes to helping the people, you know, who uh, are enriching themselves by being animal betrayal experts. So, you know, this past January, I thought, well, you know, maybe I see Veganuary. That seems to be... You know, all, all of these things that get really big and really rich, uh, I'm skeptical. But anyway, what, what could be wrong with Veganuary? So I thought, well, let me um, let me get in touch with the people who organize Veganuary. Maybe I would interview them. And I thought, well, you know, first, uh, let me look at Veganuary's website and see. Oh, Veganuary's website. There's Mercy for Animals. Mercy for Animals as... Uh, you know, getting the endorsement of Veganuary and, I guess, Mercy for Animals endorsing Veganuary. Mercy for Animals, one of the biggest sellouts imaginable or unimaginable. Yes, Mercy for Animals. Uh, you know, that supported enriched battery cages and misled the public about it and supported cage-free eggs and, uh, you know, misled the public about it. So I thought, nah. Well, I think I'll pass on the interview with Veganuary. And, you know, I get a lot of people who contact me who would actually like to be interviewed on this show. And I certainly welcome those inquiries. And you can email me, bob at goveganradio.com. 
So then I got this uh, request for an interview from, uh, what's it called, Million Dollar Vegan. Million Dollar Vegan. And uh, so the campaign basically is uh, that this organization, Million Dollar Vegan, would give a, will donate a million dollars uh, to the uh, charity, the, uh, the choice of a celebrity. Uh, so a celebrity would have to go vegan, I guess, what, for 21 days or a month or whatever it is. And so if that celebrity went vegan for the three weeks or a month or whatever, then uh, Million Dollar Vegan would donate a million dollars to the charity of that celebrity's choice. And I'm thinking, well, is there a better use for that million dollars? Because I'm sure it'll be donated to some <laughs> some organization, some something that I don't approve, probably something that experiments on animals, or even if it's, you know, one of those groups, part of the cabal uh, of the fake animal rights movement. I, you know, I, 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 I wouldn't really want to see, um, you know, HSUS or Mercy for Animals or Farm or Farm Sanctuary or PETA or the Humane League or, I don't know, the, the list kind of goes on. I wouldn't want them getting a million dollars. You know, then they just have more money to mislead the public. So, and then I, uh, you know, to really top it off, Oh, and so a Million Dollar Vegan also, its campaign some months back was it wanted to uh, do the same thing with the, with the Pope. Have, you know, have the Pope go vegan for 21 or 30 days and then uh, Million Dollar Vegan would donate a million dollars to the charity of the Pope's choice. Uh, you know, first of all, the Pope should be vegan already if he has read the Bible, Genesis book 1, verse 29, basically says, be vegan. That's the first commandment. So what's the Pope doing, you know, not being vegan? And then if there were a charity the Pope would like to, you know, to which the Pope would like to donate, well, I think the Pope could find a million dollars in, you know, probably in the couch cushions somewhere in the Vatican. So... And then, to top it off, I, I look at the Million Dollar Vegan website, and who's associated with that? Farm Forward. Farm Forward, which is pushing, you know, the, the right animals for us to eat. You know, the all the research for, you know, the... Again, it's just part of the animal exploitation industry, the meat industry. All of these people are the meat industry in disguise... Uh, of the animal advocacy industry. Why is Ingrid Newkirk of PETA complimenting Bell and Evans chicken on the way that it kills chickens? Whew. Are we speciesist or what? Are humans speciesist when animal organizations, when, when animal advocates, you know, <laughs> advocate for torture, mutilation, imprisonment, and killing of every single animal, how can they be considered animal advocates? I don't get it. It's all so corrupt. And then the public is brainwashed, and all the millions of dollars go to these groups. Doesn't come to Go Vegan Radio that's out there, you know, trying to, to you know, get the real message out 
on going vegan. The real truth, through media and special events, we could really use the money and put it to good use. But, yeah. Then, you know, I'm on a lot of people's lists. Yeah, Ar arrest that animal rights group. Right. Uh, you tell them, Susie and Tootsie. Um, okay, so then I'm on a lot of people's uh, email uh, lists, too. And <laughs> I guess I, I hadn't been paying attention to this, uh, this other group that's become really big. Oh, and also... I didn't. I didn't mention. Yeah, yeah. I mean, direct action everywhere. Another bogus. Really, not helpful to the vegan cause group. Really. And uh, if you know, if you want to know why, you can go to goveganradio.com and listen in the archives, and um, listen to the uh, interviews we had with uh, Gary Francione and Wayne Shun of. Uh, Direct action everywhere. And how he endorsed dishonesty. He endorsed the dishonesty of these animal organizations outright. So, anyway, I'm on this email list and somebody says, Oh, please, uh, help the animals by calling the CEO of McDonald's and... Uh, asking McDonald's to join the Better Chicken Commitment. Join the Better Chicken Commitment. And, and don't just call the CEO once. You know, call uh, multiple times. Uh, the Better Chicken Commitment. And this is a campaign from Animal Equality. Okay, Animal Equality. Um, let's check on what this Better Chicken Commitment is. And so I went to the uh, Animal Equality website, and I went to, uh, okay, this page here for the, the Better Chicken Commitment. And it says, the Better Chicken Commitment is the leading set of standards for broiler welfare driving the food industry towards higher welfare practices. And then... Of course, next comes the little deceptive picture of one hen who looks very happy and healthy, well-fed, clean, you know, standing there. Nothing like any of the hens will experience under the better chicken commitment. So, okay, so there's, there's the deception through, through uh, that picture there. And then it says, commitments. And uh, it has the logos of all our heroes here. Isn't this great? The heroic companies, Burger King, uh, Chipotle, Denny's. Oh, yes, all, all now committing to the better chicken commitment, whatever that, that is, right? Compass, Nestle, Subway. And it says here, since November 2016... Over 200 leading food companies have publicly committed to meet the standards of the Better Chicken Commitment. These companies include Burger King, Subway, Chipotle, Denny's, Nestle, and Compass Group. Oh, I guess we noticed that from the, the logos that you have right there on the page. And then it says, uh, well, we'll go back to see the commitments here. I'll scroll down a little bit. Uh, and it says, why the better chicken commitment? 
And what does it show? A big dollar sign. The better chicken commitment. Why? A big dollar sign. And it says, quote, Consumers are increasingly, increasingly concerned about where their food comes from and how it was produced. By adopting the Better Chicken Commitment, BCC, companies signal to their, to their customers that they are meeting rising expectations for animal welfare, sustainability, and food quality. What a lie. What deception. This is disgusting. I want to throw up. It makes me want to throw up, you know, like like if I took a bite of a chicken, I, that's how much I want to throw up from, from what I'm seeing from this animal welfare movement. There it is. I mean, in black and white, too. Or, or no, there are multicolors here. Green, whatever, gray. <laughs> okay. Why the better chicken commitment? Dollar sign. And you're supporting these groups? You're supporting animal equality? By the way, In Defense of Animals also supported these campaigns in the past. But they all get the money. Not Go Vegan Radio. Not, not Go Vegan Radio. 20 years uncompromising, you know, uncompromised, a, a con, you know, content for 20 years. Okay, so let's go up just a little bit here, and it says, see the commitments. Commitments. Okay, let, yeah, let's, okay, commitments. Over 200 leading food companies. These are leading food companies. These are our heroes. Um, so it says, over 200 leading food companies, from fast food giants to household brands, are adopting the better chicken commitment to address concerns about animal welfare, sustainability, and food safety. And by the way, there is nothing sustainable at all about animal products. There is nothing sustainable about meat, dairy, fish, eggs, and honey. So continue with the lies, animal equality. So it shows here. Oh, so here's, here's a little bigger list of those who have committed and you know and people who you know continue to donate to these organizations should be committed to so we see who has committed to the better chicken commitment well there it is murder king tji fridays chipotle denny's compass general mills jack the ripper in a box Kraft Heinz, Nestle, Papa John's. So, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, Popeye's. Popeye's has committed to the better chicken commitment. All those little dead birds coming out of Popeye's. Good going, Popeye's. Red Robin has committed. Royal Caribbean, Blue Apron. Shake Shack. This is all so bogus. This is all such a conspiracy against animals. It's beyond belief. Sodexo, Sonic, Starbucks, Subway, Unilever. Yeah, and then, you know, there's a more comprehensive list. But that's, uh, you know, a bit of, uh, a, a bit of the list there of the scam 
this major campaign to make people feel good about torture, mutilation, imprisonment, and mass killing. Hey, it's the better chicken commitment. Yay. All right, let me go scroll back here. I, I just can't get over it. And, and, oh, but they are being, there is some honesty here. Only when they do say, why the better chicken commitment, dollar sign. Dollar signs for all these people who kill chickens, um, who sell chickens. Amazing, isn't it? We're so happy. We're so happy that they're all joining the, the commitment. The policy. The better chicken commitment. Let's see, do I? Okay, yeah. The better chicken commitment is a science-based chicken welfare policy. Ooh, science. So, um, <laughs> I don't know if that means the chickens will be wearing one mask or two masks or no mask. Um, the better chicken commitment is a science-based chicken welfare policy. Now, if it's science-based, that probably means animal experimentation, doesn't it? Perhaps vivisection. Yay, animal experimentation. Yay, vivisection. We are such good animal advocates, aren't we? Let's give more money to animal equality and all these other fraudulent, corrupt... Um, so, uh, fill in the blank. The Better Chicken Commitment is a science-based chicken welfare policy that addresses issues related to breeding for fast growth and high yield, housing, stocking density, and slaughter. Read the policy? Sure, why not? I'm sure all the chickens will love it, right? Uh, only the people who want to feel good about what's so horrific only the people who will buy into this brainwashing technique from the animal betrayal specialists and make donations to the chicken killing, killing industry. Every, every donation you make to Animal Equality or HSUS or Mercy for Animals is a donation to the chicken killing industry. So have at it. Have at it. You know? Who's causing all of this, huh? The policy. The better chicken commitment is the leading set of standards for broiler welfare driving the food industry towards higher welfare practices. And by the way, this isn't welfare. Nobody does well. Nobody, yeah, I mean, nobody fares well. Everybody really fares poorly. So poorly that they are tortured, imprisoned, and mutilated and killed. That's welfare, right? Animal welfare. Okay, so it says there are two versions of the better chicken commitment that food companies in the U.S. can adopt and work in partnership with their suppliers to meet. Do you get that? There are two versions, and uh, the food companies can work with their suppliers. Supplier uh, means uh, chicken killers, right? Okay. Uh, so, anyway... It says, by 2024, okay, here's version one. By 2024, we will source only chicken certified by Global Animal Partnership. And what a scam that is. Been reporting on Global Animal Partnership for 10 years. What a disgrace. Okay, well, okay, well, we'll go past that right now. Global Animal Partnership, which had it, you know, from... Uh, had its roots with um, 
from Whole Foods and John Mackey, the anti-vegan vegan that he is, making his fortune off of dead animals. John Mackey, who was the founder of Whole Foods, he went on the Joe Rogan show and uh, brought Joe Rogan some special elk. Joe Rogan said that he watched a PETA video and he decided that he would either have to go vegetarian or uh, kill animals uh, himself. So he chose the latter. He chose to kill animals himself and he just loves that elk. He just loves, you know, ooh, he can't, he can't talk enough about loving that elk meat on his show. Good old elk breath uh, Joe Rogan, the comedian. Um, he says he's a comedian, right? Has he ever said anything funny? I don't know. Um, but he had John Mackey on his show, and John Mackey, the vegan, brought him some uh, special, probably animal welfare elk. Joe Rogan doesn't think that there's like a mad cow disease uh, in elk. It's, it's not mad cow disease in elk. It's chronic wasting disease. Uh, but okay. And John Mackey brings uh, Joe Rogan a gift of, uh, I guess, animal welfare, probably global animal partnership approved elk. And uh, during also the, co the course of the conversation, John Mackey did say that uh, going vegan, he called it a, you know, a whole foods, a plant-based diet, vegan, uh, has been uh, proven by science to be the only way of reversing certain uh, calamitous disease, you know, fatal degenerative disease. Going vegan has uh, been shown to reverse heart disease. Going vegan has been shown to stop type 2 diabetes, that within, you know, 21 days. But Joe Rogan, of course, you know, elk breath Joe Rogan said, no, 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 I don't believe it. That's not true. John Mackey said, no, it is true. That's the only, there's a study. That's the, the only way that one can reverse that. But, you know, Joe Rogan loves his, lo loves his elk so much, you know. But, he, you know, in that case, science doesn't matter, right? Okay. Anyway, let's get back to our science-based animal welfare here. Version one of the Better Chicken Commitment. By 2024, we will... I can't get through one line without going off on a tangent, huh? Anyway, it's my hate speech. I hate I hate it. I hate that I have to do hate speech. Um, but I love animals so much. What can I do? I love animals enough so much I have to engage in hate speech. By 2024, uh, version one, back, right? You know where we are? You keep in place here? Version one, better chicken commitment. By 2024, we will source only chickens certified... And, you know, there, there's money there, too, right? Getting certified. You know, there's money everywhere. All of this money for the running into the animal exploitation industry. Uh, by 2024, we will source only chickens certified by Global Animal Partnership and require all chickens to be processed in a matter that avoids live dumping and live shackling and instead utilizes a pre-shackle, multi-step, controlled atmosphere processing system that's widely hailed as more humane. Again, 
animal equality makes me want to barf, basically. And, you know, to call this processing, okay? Like, right there, it, it shows what speciesist we are. How, well, how, how speciesist they are. You know, it's like, these are the words of brainwashing. These are the words to make something seem almost kind, right? It's like harvesting animals, okay? So, okay, so by 2024, which means these people just have to commit to doing something in three years that they won't do anyway, and even if they do it, it'll be horrible for the animals, but they'll look good to the public by making a promise uh, that they won't keep. Uh, what a scam. I tell you, I tell you. Uh, by 2024, we will source only chickens certified by a global animal partnership and require all chickens to be processed in a manner that avoids live dumping and live shackling and instead utilizes a pre-shackle, so they will be still shackled, of course, a multi-step controlled atmosphere processing, which looks a lot better, right? Like, just suffocating the birds is so much better than shackling and cutting their throats, right? So, oh, Yay, suffocation. Yay. It's a multi-step controlled atmosphere processing system that's widely hailed as more humane. So, hail uh, animal equality. Hail animal equality. Hail this method of killing that's more humane. We love it. It, it makes us happy. The chickens are so happy to be killed by, you know, a method that's, that's hailed. Yay! We hail this killing. Okay, version two of the better chicken commitment. <laughs> now, when you commit, uh, you know, McDonald's, uh, oh, you haven't committed yet bad McDonald's, but I'm sure Murder King and Wendy, oh, I didn't see Wendy's on there. I didn't see Kills Jr. Oh, Jack the Ripper in the box. Yeah, I'm sure Jack the Ripper in, a, in the box, you know, put his hand over his heart uh, making this commitment years from now. Who will even remember the commitment years from now, right? Okay, so here's version two. By 2024, we will require our chicken suppliers, that is the people who, uh, you know, torture, mutilate, imprison, and kill chickens, those people, uh, to meet the following requirements for 100% of our products. This is by 2024 again, so... Uh, three years from now, no one will comply. They'll say, oh, we didn't have enough time or it's too expensive or who cares. But now, now you can be a favorite of the animal rights movement. You can get your logo, you know, linked to animal equality. Well, I mean, what more could you want? Uh, meat, dairy, fish and egg industry. Did I get to version two yet? No. By 2024, we will require one. Uh, maximum stocking density of 6.0 pounds per square foot and, uh, what's it say? And prohibit uh, broiler cages. So, yippee, six pounds. Well, I think that's uh, those broiler chickens so-called broiler chickens, and let's call them broiler chickens, right? Let's, I mean, you know, let, let's call them by, you know, how we're going to cook them. You know, we're, we're a speciesist animal advocacy movement. Let's call them broiler chickens. Let's call them hamburger cows, okay? Right? Let's, let's call them bacon pigs. 
or uh, barbecue pigs or grilled cows or so basically they're saying you know and, and a, one of these chickens would be up to six pounds so yay the bird will get one square foot of space wow isn't that great that's that's like that's like freedom isn't it like that's whoo wow that's like free range one square foot of space okay each bird gets like a sheet of paper room of space and this is this is what we're fighting for this is what you support when you make a donation to animal equality where all the animals are equally victims but we say they're not so they're not okay all right that was number one a six pound bird gets one square foot number two uh it's required to provide birds enriched environments including litter lighting and enrichment that meets global animal partnership standards and now we go back to the um campaign for furnished enriched cages you know the those cages that farm sanctuary used to say were unacceptable that hsus used to say are unacceptable now that's the campaign of the animal advocacy industry this fraud you know now, now well it happened years ago right at the animal rights conference alex hershaft and farm promoting all these groups farm the group organizing the animal rights conference supporting enriched cages and when i got up at the animal rights conference to complain about it to protest to protest against it i was banned <laughs> I was banned from the animal rights conference uh mainly for going along with the policies that all of these groups used to embrace until the money came in you know from where well figure it out yourself you we've been talking about the dollar sign and the open philanthropy project and you know anyway so this uh, provides birds so basically they can tell the public, oh, the, the birds now enjoy an enriched environment when they shove a stick in the cage or throw in some sand or some wood shavings. And they, you know, they call that a bird bath or enrichment or whatever nonsense it is. Anyway, isn't it great? The, the chickens have it so good with this commitment that will never happen it was like prop two prop two in california when hsu and su hs useless invaded uh, california with this campaign oh this is a campaign it's not about being vegan or vegetarian it's just can't we can we give the chickens room to, space to just spread their wings that was that campaign just space to spread their wings and hsus enriched itself millions of dollars people thinking they were doing something and you know none of the chicken farmers knew what that meant did it mean like the birds can have enough room to do all the birds in the cage have to have room to spread their wings or one at a time nobody knew what it was everybody ignored it but the headlines were chickens have it great in california so everybody just you know eat chickens don't go vegan believe the bs um all right so what was this process chickens in a manner that avoids pre-stun uh, handling and instead utilizes again a multi-step controlled atmosphere processing system that induces 
an irreversible stun. Um, I, I could only, I, you know, it was Isaac Besheva Singer, the Jewish writer, who was a Pulitzer Prize winner, who said that to the animals, all men are Nazis. And can you imagine a meeting with a group of animal advocates who get together in a room to decide what acceptable torture and murder will be, and they come up with these multi-step approaches, this uh, controlled atmosphere system, you know, suffocation. But it looks better, right? Remember uh, when uh, Mercy for Animals was all happy that Tyson was going to find a better way to kill baby pigs than slamming their heads on the ground, uh, which is the preferred method. Because it looks so bad, doesn't it? Just looks bad. Looks bad to slam a pig's head against the ground. So let's do research on pigs. Let's do animal research. Let's do vivisection. Let's find a way that looks better than slamming a pig's head on the ground. Let's do research that looks better than shackling a chicken by a leg and then slitting her throat. Look, they're just going to sleep. Okay? They're just suffocating. It's, it's, it's nice murder. It's, it's hailed. It's hailed as the way to kill. Hail murder. Hail killing. Hail animal equality, where all the animals are equal victims. Let's see. What's number four on... <laughs> what am I... This is the Better Chicken Commitment. And this was version two. And we're up to... Where are we? Number four. Demonstrate compliance with all standards via third-party auditing. Well, that's, that's a good new job industry. Third-party auditors for the proper way of torturing and killing animals. There's more money for the chicken-killing industry. Brilliant. This is brilliant, the dollar signs. The dollar signs. Oh, and then uh, there's more to uh, Plan B, or Part 2, or whatever this is, Version 2. And by 2026, so now you can actually make a promise five years from now that you won't keep. And you can make it a bigger, more devious, more deceptive promise, because you won't keep it in five years anyway. But you'll look good now. You'll look good to the consumer now. Dollar signs, dollar signs. So it says, and by 2026, adopt breeds that demonstrate higher welfare outcomes, either Hubbard Black, JA757, 787, 957, or 987, Rambler Ranger, Ranger Classic, or Ranger Gold, or others that meet the criteria of the RSPCA Broiler Breed Welfare Assessment Protocol or Global Animal Partnership. So, in 2026, you will be very unlucky if you are hatched a Hubbard Black. Or, you know, let's let's put numbers on. You know, these, these are real, you know, concentration camp victims. So, you know, if you're a JA-757... You are a preferred breed, a better bird to kill. Wouldn't, isn't that great? Th these birds can be just, you know, like 
born or hatched into just being better to be killed. I mean, who couldn't hail that, right? Hail that Hubbard Black, you know? And again, all the science that goes into these birds, all the experimentation on animals. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that great that we can do so many experiments on birds, so much vivisection, so much breeding, that you can come up with a group like Animal Equality supporting the killing of those named Hubbard Black, JA-757-787-957, or 987, Rambler Ranger, Ranger Classic, or Ranger Gold. And, and this is the kind of nonsense that we're getting from Farm Forward. This is, you know, that what Farm Forward is about, too. And Farm Forward, um, as I mentioned, I mean, somebody from Farm Forward is on the board of that million-dollar vegan campaign. So, you know... What Million Dollar Vegan Campaign could do better um, with that money would be to take that million dollars and help support all the vegan restaurants who are struggling to survive after the pandemic. Wouldn't that be a better use of a million dollars, million dollar vegan campaign? Instead of giving, you know, telling the Pope telling you where to put a million dollars, or some celebrity who's uh, going to, you know, be vegan for a few weeks and, to, and then say, oh, I, I, I couldn't bear it. You know, all these celebrities who once were vegan and then aren't vegan anymore. Not a, not a real commitment to the animals, you know. The ones who do a commitment to the animals, you know, they're the ones who stay vegan, you know, for the most part. Anyway, so million dollar vegan, take your million dollars and shove it into the hands of struggling vegan restaurants that's that would be my suggestion okay i mean that's uh wouldn't that be a better use than giving it to you know some <laughs> some animal experimentation group you know some animal experimentation facility that's trying to figure out who's the best bird to kill for the chicken industry right or instead of some celebrity making a donation to St. Jude for animal research or, uh, you know, the, the pink ribbon uh, breast cancer people, all of that stuff would be, you know, that, that would be good use for the money right there. You know, but all the money, all the money that goes toward, um, toward these bogus organizations... You know, any donation to them really basically supports a vicious scam, a vicious scam to siphon funds that should go to help animals, but instead betray them in the worst way. That's disgusting, but I'm content saying it. <laughs> and what else to say here? So ridiculous. Cage-free eggs. Furnished cages. And now we have the better chicken commitment. And remember, don't worry, uh, all you wonderful uh, uh, animal killers and companies who uh, serve animals on a plate. It's only a commitment. Doesn't mean you'll ever have to do anything, okay? And you won't. I'm sure you won't. So, <laughs> there you have it. All right. So, anyway, 
That's my hate speech of the day. My hate speech, based in love, based in love for the animals. And, um, what where did, I, where did I put my notes here? Yeah. Anyway, so, I think maybe, maybe I'll get in touch with, uh, Million Dollar Vegan. See if they can uh, help out some of these vegan restaurants who really need their help. Um, you know, I, I hope uh, I hope vegetarian houses do, vegetarian houses doing well in San Jose, staying afloat. I you know, one of my favorite places, vegan organic restaurant, hundred percent vegan. Go to vegetarianhouse.com there, but and yes, you too, please support support your local vegan restaurants if they're still in business. Do takeout, and the things are opening up now too, right? So. There might be more outdoor dining, maybe some indoor dining. Please spend your money with the uh, vegan restaurants. It would be great if we could save them, right? Also, um, I would like to uh, thank uh, Evolution Vegan Dog and Cat Food for its support. Yes, uh Dogs and cats can go vegan, too. Daisy loves evolution. She's been vegan eight years now and loves her evolution. And uh, evolution is for all, all stages of life. There's uh, canned food and there's kibble. And you can go to PetFoodShop.com. PetFoodShop.com for evolution, vegan dog and cat food. And uh, maybe Joe Biden's dogs need uh, evolution, right? Do you see the news that uh, Joe Biden's dogs are going back to Delaware? They're, they're leaving the uh, D.C. compound there. What are the dogs? Uh, what is it? Major? What are the dogs' names? Major and... Uh, hmm. Sorry, I'm drawing a blank. Major. But anyway, so apparently um, there was aggressive behavior on the part of the dogs there at the White House. Uh, apparently they started uh, bombing Syria. So um, they're being sent back to uh, Delaware. And, uh, oh, actually, also, you know, Joe was playing catch with, uh, with the two German shepherds. Uh, using the uh, you know the nuclear football, so so major bit into it and 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 did uh, nuke parts of Moscow, so I I think that's why um, the dogs are being sent back to Delaware. So my recommendations, you know, to ease the aggression, um, have them go vegan, and uh, certainly evolution vegan dog and vegan dog and cat food would be. An excellent choice for the uh, first dogs. Okay, so it's Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden. And uh, you can support us with a donation. It would be greatly appreciated since most of the money going toward animals has been stolen by the bogus, fraudulent animal rights movement, so-called animal rights movement, really the 
meat, fish, egg and dairy industries, uh, you know, uh, pretending to be masquerading as animal advocates. But you can see what we're doing. You know, we're we're pretty dedicated to the cause. 650 shows archived at GoVeganRadio.com and all the events that we've been organizing over the years. Like, it all needs financing, and too bad all the people who care about animals are giving it to uh, those who don't care about animals, <laughs> who lie about animals, who give us propaganda to mislead a very caring public. You know, that's got to end. Cancel culture. I am canceling this fake, bogus animal rights movement. And you should, too. Okay, so uh, more contentment on the way uh, with Peggy Brousseau on Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden, a great cookbook called The Contented Vegan, coming up next. This is Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden at GoVeganRadio.com, on Facebook, Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden, Twitter at Go Vegan Radio, and you can support our program with a tax-deductible donation uh, at GoVeganRadio.com. You can find the donate button there, and since this is the uh, 20th anniversary of Go Vegan Radio, um, you will find many free archives uh to which you can listen. That's close to 650 that we've been able to save over the years. And uh, check it out at GoVeganRadio.com. And today uh, we are uh, very fortunate to be talking to Peggy Brousseau, who has just uh, published a, a wonderful new book called The Contented Vegan, Recipes and Philosophy from a Family Kitchen, and we're talking to Peggy today. Uh, she's in London. How are you, Peggy? I'm very well, Bob. Thanks. Okay. Well, yeah. I've had a chance to look at your book, and I think it's uh, somewhat of a vegan masterpiece in that it is so comprehensive. It has, what is it, over about 200 recipes. I was scanning through them. I, I would like one of each i'd like to try try it all the the photographs are amazing and uh yeah very very impressive so um thank you that's nice and yeah, kind well, words thank you thank you it's uh always wonderful when there's a, a great tool out there that can help people go vegan and explain a lot of it and you know often i i hear on you know on my show and uh, people say to me all right you've convinced me to go vegan now what do I eat, you know? <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> so, and why did you call the book uh, The Contented Vegan? Oh, it, it was really uh, in a conversation with someone, and it, that's, that's the, the title that sat and rested well between us. It, it was, uh, the idea was to convey a sense of ease, um, that 
once one has made the decision to move in the direction of a plant-based diet, um, really it has to, the person has to own it. They have to believe that they can achieve it. They have to want it from some sort of deep level. And then they have to progress at a pace and in a style that suits them as a person and also their circumstances. And that's sort of summed up, became the idea of contentedness, which I think is a very important state. Not many of us can find it these days, right. um, but it, it, it is conducive to learning and to trying new things, to exploring, um, and also to feeling good about oneself, that, that you're at least making an effort. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I guess it's a dichotomy for vegans because uh, uh, when I went vegan 37 years ago, it was the best decision of my life, and the, I'm, I'm, it's the happiest decision I've made. I'm actually contented being a vegan, but my discontent comes from not everybody else is vegan, and wh what are they waiting for? The food is great, and uh, they'll save their family's health and billions of animals and the environment in the process. So so hurry up can, so that I can be fully contented. And then when I looked at your book, I saw all the recipes. I thought, well, if I were eating like this, I what could I – I couldn't be anything else but – contented or, or content and uh, and ironically the, the thank you the last time i heard you know contented i, I was a child and they they were s selling cow's milk and they were saying from contented cows and i'm oh my gosh yeah, yeah. contented cows and there's there was a happy cow campaign uh in uh, from dairy and in, in the state of california and cows are Nothing, uh, you know, the, the, the furthest thing from uh, content or contented. And uh, the only way to bring contentment is for us all to go vegan. That would be bring real contentment to the animals. And, uh, you know, so. Uh, I agree. I mean, it, but I find that uh, there, there's a, 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 an aspect of people, many people, that is very, very interested in eating a vegan diet. Um, the, the word is off-putting, perhaps. They don't know how to do it. Um, there's a huge amount of tradition and habit that they have to overthrow in order to put it into action. But at some level, they actually want to do it. And I wanted to touch that part of, the per of each person who looks at the book. I wanted to say that you can make a success of this. It will impact on the environment in a beneficial way. You will stop eating slaughtered animals, and they're, you, you know, you will have a, your health will improve. You you can have these things, and this is how to do it. So I wanted to make it appealing in in the sense that um, it it seems easy. It's within their reach. They can succeed at it. If and that that's where I started to take them. And you used the word word toolbox earlier. I wanted to create a toolkit for them so that they could begin with confidence and find their footing and then gradually move into a, a fully blown plant-based diet. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm, I'm sure that deep inside everyone there's a, a vegan waiting to emerge. I mean, we are, we are an herbivore species and, uh, and if I can do it, anybody can do it. I mean, I, yes. I ate, me that you know every day of my life and uh you know 
won a hamburger eating contest and never would have imagined myself vegan or even knowing what the word vegan meant. Even when I went vegan, I didn't know the word vegan existed. But, yes. um, but uh, you know, I just couldn't bear. Yeah, I, I was cooking a chicken one night in, in college and my friends were over at the house and they'd come over every Friday night and, you know, there's there's the chicken in the pan and I saw somebody's body and I said, you know, somebody had to suffer violence and killing. I don't think I can eat animals anymore. And uh, little did I know that it would lead me 37 years later to talking to you about a book with, I mean, really amazing recipes from from some of the basics that I, you know, you got pizza, you got chocolate chip cookies, you got, but, and then you have so many recipes with words I don't even know or uh, <laughs> can, can pronounce or um, so, but, but how did you personally yourself uh, become vegan? Like what, what did it for well, you? It sounds similar, but different to your experience. I, I grew up in the Midwest of the States and uh, on a, on a diet that had a lot of dairy and meat. I think people expected that that's what a diet included. And there was no mention of the other word, the V word. And um, I had no idea that it, it existed. I did know that I wasn't very fond of those foods of meat and dairy, but I didn't know any better. When I traveled, I came to Britain. And long story short, I ran a small holding here in Britain for about 10 years. And a small holding is like five acres or Roughly, you know, it's a it's a market garden size, and I had a, a large orchard and a small meadow, and I planted a massive herb garden and a vegetable garden, and I made it. That was my livelihood for a time, and then I was delivered a, a sort of rescue cow, and asked if I could put her on the meadow for a while and help to look after her, and I said yes, and I mean. I, I milked her, not knowing a, a, a thing about doing that, milked her by hand. I made cheeses out of the milk for about 18 months. Um, she was part of my life, and she taught me a huge amount. And the, one of the main things was that I didn't want to be involved in animal husbandry. I didn't want to have animals uh, included in in the small holding process. Um, she had a calf out there on the meadow and she nursed that quite naturally for, I don't know, he, he was probably bigger than she was in the, towards the end of that time. Um, and so that was my, my great learning curve as far as similar to your chicken on the plate experience to realize, because that was the first time I'd really met an animal I, I didn't grow up with pets or anything like that, so um, it was a huge experience for me to get to know her and to develop this very strong um, affinity, I suppose, to her. And we, we understood each other. There was no aggression or violence, or and I didn't listen to all the farmers who were local to me at that time uh, who said what I had to do to her and her calf. So... That was my huge learning curve. And then a short time after that, I moved off the small holding. And a short time after that, I met my husband, who was vegetarian at the time also. And 
we became vegan together almost 35 years ago. Great, yeah. Well, I I didn't go vegan that night that I was looking down at the frying pan because I thought, uh, well, you know, cows have to be milked and chickens lay Mm -hmm. eggs. So, you know, we're probably doing them a favor by drinking milk and eating omelets. Um, so I don't know. I, I was the first vegetarian I knew, but was that, did I really accomplish anything until I found out 13 years later of what really happens to the chickens and the cows and, you know, the, like your experience there, the mother cow, well, she, it starts off that she's impregnated on, on what the dairy industry calls a rape rack. And that's right. Yeah, and and then uh, gives birth to the baby, who is taken away from her at birth, and they're 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 crying for each other. And if you've ever seen videos of mother cow crying for baby cow, and vice versa, as he's uh, being hauled off in a truck and she's chasing after him. In certain cases, you see those videos. It's uh, you know no, nothing but contentment. No no contented cows there. And then that's she, right. She's yeah. She's killed for hamburger when she can't produce anymore after that cycle of, you know, uh, rape rack, baby, birth, kidnapping. And, and, of course, he's taken away to be fattened up for beef or veal or whatever. So um, it's a brutal, brutal cycle. There's no doubt about it. And it's horrific. And we've uh, collectively we've isolated ourselves from the facts of it. Um, Certainly the, the. People local to me at that time were not isolated from it. They just expected it. They thought it was normal. Um, But I felt and still feel that it's horrific and brutal, and I did not want any part of it. Um, That prompted me to um, at least become vegetarian. But I must say that we, we all have to go through a process of finding where we want to be with this. And I'm actually quite forgiving of people who take a long time, like I did, and by the sounds of it, like you did, to come to a vegan place. Yeah, but, but I'm, I'm upset it took me a long time. So okay, I, I, well, would have, I would have rather have known that, hey, do you know what they actually do to the cows and chickens? Because I did it for the animals. So I would have gone vegan that night had I known, had I, you know, and so um, I, I'm, I'm happy to push the process along so people actually you know they 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 know what the reality is and you know if 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 you're a vegetarian who still consumes eggs and dairy well you're still in in the meat eater category you know it's like yeah, very often we're 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 you know we we have our categories of people and we say oh vegans and vegetarians do this or if you look at the happy cow app it 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 lists vegan and vegetarian restaurants but Vegan really is kind of a standalone kind of 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 uh, of status or morality or being, um, and vegetarian still is really with the meat eaters because if you are doing dairy and eggs, you might as well eat the chicken, you might as well eat the cow because there's the same cruelty and the same health risks and the same damage to the environment. So. Um, you know, I encourage people like to get on the fast track, which I would have done immediately, but I remained ignorant for 13 years until information came my way. And then I said, whoa, I'm doing this for the animals. 
that's it for the dairy and eggs. So, um, yeah. so I, I like I think... to encourage the fast track, like go vegan today. Like, and a lot of people yeah. say, well, eventually, you know, like I am planning on going vegan. And I say, well, how about today? If it's going to be eventually, you know, so. I, um... I fully understand that. It, it's a, there's a feeling of impatience almost, but I'm also, I also feel this great, um, uh, I feel that a lot of people just aren't, they need a push maybe, but maybe it's a pull rather than a push. Maybe they need to be welcomed into something. Mm. And that's why I've tried to create more of an invitation. Um, I'm not arguing with you. I'm not saying you've got it wrong. I'm saying that there, there's more than one way to crack the, the problem. And that what I've tried to, and I've, uh, what I've tried to do is to set, set out that invitation and to say that that here's how you do it. I know that you have something inside you that would really like this, and here's the, here are the first steps, and here's the process you can go through at your own pace. Because I've noticed that that people get fearful or they they tighten up um, if they're put in a position where they have to move too quickly for their for their own. For themselves, um, and they, they, and that kind of makes them a little bit deaf or a little bit blind to the things that we're trying to point out here. Mm-hmm. Well, also though, uh, these days there are those uh, substitutes or alternatives that weren't available way back when I was going through uh, that process. So, you know, that's true. It's never been easier, has it? Never to, been to, easier. Right. To just so. slide right along into the plant-based. Are you are you okay with the um, the history of the, the word vegan and how it emerged from the vegetarian society here in Yes, in the Britain? Watsons, right? The, the yeah. came from the Watsons in the 1940s, and uh, what is it? The, yeah. It's uh, vegetarian starts and ends with vegan, That's basically, the, yeah. right? But they they initially tried to they called themselves the non-dairy vegetarians and then then they just they just dropped that and went with the new word mm-hmm. and, and yet the decade before in jamaica the rastafari culture that gives us reggae yes. which i consider to be a, a a vegan music form um they they went vegan there in the 1930s and, and created the word ital for vegan yes. so yes so maybe we should call ourselves the italics Right. Because, <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice idea. Yeah. <laughs> so, and uh, and the concept is actually um, as as old as the Bible. If people want to go to Genesis book one verse twenty nine, uh, it it does That's say right. to be vegan there. Only you know, God God didn't think up the word vegan at that time, or whoever wrote the Bible, or whatever. But it's it's right there. Um, so yes. the concept is is thousands of years old, and um, you know, when, when you look at, you know, I mean, I've had a lot of people say to me, yeah, I'd like to go vegan, but, you know, I don't want to just eat lettuce or whatever. You know, I don't mm-hmm. want to eat cardboard. Um, and then, you know, I look at a book like yours, your your book now, The Contented Vegan, Recipes and Philosophy from a Family Kitchen. And it's, you know, vegan is for foodies, like, you know, and, <laughs> uh, and then also I do like to encourage people to do it as quickly as possible for their family health because consuming, oh, yes. you know, meat, dairy, eggs, and fish is 
totally connected to heart disease, cancer, stroke, diabetes. People can cure themselves of diabetes within three weeks uh, by yeah. by going vegan. So it is it is the way to be, and it is you know as climate experts tell us the pretty much the only solution for climate change is that we have to have a massive population shift to vegan, which also saves the forests and water and feeds the world, ends world hunger. So it is the solution right. to everything. So I would say like, yes. hurry up. But, you know, like if, if, you know, if, if you're hesitating, you know, like get with your book, you know what I mean? Like, so, oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Well, can, I, I really think it's great too, because you go off and, a number of different areas like even in the introduction of the book where you give you know you're giving us a chart of seasonal produce and you're 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 talking about a plate approach you know what is the plate approach then again you, you want to okay <laughs> sure well one of my uh you see because bob this is uh the the recipes are a result of raising a family so these are family favorites um did you My make husband them up? Have, Are they all your creations? All your? They're all, yes, but you can recognize that some of them are, you know, classic dishes sure. that have been made into a vegan version. Mm -hmm. But th this is what we've eaten for all this time. Um, and, and one of the things that uh, is, you, you mentioned it just a moment ago, is if you're going to raise a family, you don't want them to be ill. And there's this, this concept recently being pushed around in some of the medical um, literature called primordial prevention, that a plant-based diet, a child raised on a plant-based diet, often is liberated from the risk of these diseases such as coronary heart disease and osteoporosis and obesity and um, the type 2 diabetes because these things start in childhood and they start because of the meat-based or animal-based diet. And if if that diet is plant-based instead, then there's this idea of prevention before there's even any sign of risk. And so that's a very big positive message to give to people who are young parents or um, who are contemplating having a family and are already moving in the direction of a plant-based diet. I would say go for it. And over the years, I mean, I went through both of my pregnancies as a vegan um, and had a lot of people tell me I was going to die or, you know, that it would go seriously wrong. <laughs> uh, but in fact, you know, both my husband and I made a real effort to learn as much as we could about nutrition and quality in food. And that's how we, we maintained our position, so to speak, of um, fending off all this criticism and really proving, showing that it's not only possible, but it's wonderful. Mm -hmm. to... Yeah, I, um, I've i had uh, Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn on my show a number of times uh, uh, from the Cleveland Clinic. And mm -hmm. um, he uh, we, we talked about children who were, you know, seven, eight, nine years of age already working on heart disease, you know, from, yeah. from their, you know, constant happy meals. And, and Dr. Yeah. Esselstyn says, nobody has to have heart disease. It's, it's all diet related. And, you know, that's so, a strong statement. <laughs> yeah, it's a very strong statement. His yeah. book is prevent and reverse heart disease. 
and he's you know from the Cleveland Clinic and has has taken people from their deathbed to yes. to health from you yes. know and so so it is the way to uh, reverse uh, a, a lot of what ails us too so yeah. um, so well, you you ha- you do have you know we'll, we'll, you have a section called Family Matters in the book yeah right so. Tell us a little bit about that. You talk about the first meal. You talk about weaning and teething and all sorts of things. So, I just wanted to to convey to people that it was normal. It is normal to eat well on a vegan diet and to enjoy good health as a result of it. And all the issues that come up as as part of the course of one's life and family life um, can be met and dealt with with it was still following a vegan diet, that pregnancy is not a problem. Breastfeeding is certainly not a problem. Neither is moving your child from breastfeeding to solid foods to, and then to actually weaning them. Um, that it's been done. It's been done in other cultures for generations. It hasn't been called veganism, as you've already pointed out. But it, there is nothing uh, new about it. And nothing dangerous about it, except, and this is a very important thing, that the the possible flaw is for people to become what I call a white bread and jam vegan. And that is where they they say no to animal-based products, animal-based foods, but they don't say yes to healthy foods. They just go with a packet of this and a and a spread of that and I have nothing against white bread or jam but the combination as a diet um, spells disaster because what really is is essential is to use the plant world to fund a rich nutrient rich diet and that's completely possible Um, I've tried to spell that out um, in the section called let food be your medicine where it's possible to build a really healthy diet using four cornerstones to good health, and that is that you eat a variety, quite a wide variety of plant-based foods that are as whole as possible and locally or organically grown if possible and in season if possible. And when you put those four ideas together, uh, you, you create the most nutrient-rich diet that's possible and well, that's what i suggest people aim for you you also have a nutrition chart in the book and we're yep. talking about the book being the contented vegan uh recipes and philosophy from a family kitchen we're talking to peggy brousseau so uh, it's very interesting the way you did put the book together well I'm jumping all over the place, but you do have a That's nutrition. Okay. <laughs> you, you, I'm trying. It's okay if I can remember keeping going back to what I wanted to say before or whatever. But um, <laughs> so you have a nutrition chart. You have macronutrients. You have micro micronutrients. You have minerals. You talk about getting those nutrients from food or supplements and talk about how you can get them from food, which is a very interesting approach to nutrition, I think. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, before I asked you what the plate approach was, uh, maybe you don't remember the introduction of your book where you talked about the plate approach percentages. Yes, I do. <laughs> uh-huh. It's 
it's um it's one way of ensuring that a diet uh, includes a lot of variety in your food because when you build variety in your you're most likely to get all of the nutrients you need in a, within a reasonable time frame and that includes things like protein and the vitamins and minerals and the thing that also is on the the nutrition chart is phytochemicals which are technically not nutrients but there are like 10,000 of them some of them aren't even named yet and they are they work they're companion chemicals they work with the nutrients in in plant-based foods to uh, kind of enhance them enhance their power or to hold them back a little bit if there if there's a danger of too much of that particular nutrient so the plant-based a plant sorry a plate approach is one technique among many that helps people uh, design their their diet design their meals to build as much variety into their diet as possible and the plate approach is it looks like you say it's uh, so it's broken down into uh, percentages or fractions um, so you're saying oh you mean the 80 20 rule well no, the, the, there's the half of the plate should be um, energy oh, okay. remember the uh, half half is energy rich um, starch or carbs a quarter yeah. green vegetables a quarter orange or yellow one ear fruit and the other ear got cut off cut off my screen so i couldn't even tell what the other ear was oh. so. <laughs> <laughs> okay that would be like a protein rich food in the other ear or some sometimes people put um yeah the, the fruits in that little section this is um this is an idea that happened very early and in the 80s uh, michael clapper dr michael clapper um, was over in London giving a lecture, and he described a plate that, that resembled um, Mickey Mouse, <laughs> the little cartoon mouse. And he just said, you, you just think of the plate, and you put half of it as the carbs, like rice or some other form of grain, then two colors of vegetables, then your your fruit, and then your protein balance. Mm. And I just thought it was a very simple uh way to visualize a meal whether or not you actually lay it out in that form sure. <laughs> no, I, I liked it I liked I liked what that said um, yeah and then you said um, also um, during pregnancy uh, nursing wasn't a problem and then going to the first foods for the toddler um, what what would those be that you you would say are some of the first foods that a young human infant uh, would, would... Okay, well, I would. The, my experience of them is that they grab something off your plate. Um, that you're you're there, you're trying to feed them, and they want to be grown up, and they reach for your plate. They get a handful of whatever it is and pop it in their mouth. And so, for one of one of our sons, it was. Uh, it's actually in the book. It's a tahini whip, a tahini lemon whip, and it's just a, a tahini sauce mixed with lemon. And in that case, there was actually garlic in it. He didn't seem to mind. Um, and he's loved it ever since. So that's what he had. And my other son had, had a passion for mashed carrot. And that was his first food. Mm -hmm. 
So it's it's things that are easy to 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 mash to make sure they're not going to choke, um, that are not allergenic, that they're not going to suffer from because it's got like too strong a protein in it or something, and um, but that is appealing to them because they can hold it or they can just put their hand in it and eat it off their hand. And the number one choking hazard for children is... Oh, gosh. Hot dogs. You're kidding. Yep, yep. That's the number one choking hazard for children. So... That, that's awful. It is. Well, it's, it's, it's awful, awful. on every level. On every level, <laughs> <laughs> really. Yeah. You shouldn't laugh, but, you know. So, um... And then, okay, so if, if uh, somehow people listening to us are, are convinced, okay, I'm, I'm, going, I'm going vegan now uh, because I'm listening to Bob, or I'm going vegan, you know, tomorrow afternoon because Peggy's going to be patient with me, what, what, do they need, <laughs> <laughs> what, what do they need in their kitchen? You know, like what, uh, you know... Like I, oh, I pretty much have survived life with a cutting board and a knife and you know a big pot. But you tell me what's what's ideal to get started on. I mean, I I could be contented. You know, now I have to hit the lottery and hire a chef to to make what you know. Like every day, I want to get something from from your book here. From you know, I just uh, I would love I I would love to try it all. It would be great if a restaurant had you know a menu yeah. like this, but. <laughs> You know, uh, it's up like 200 dishes, right? But uh, so, okay, so let's start with the kitchen, like some of the basics. If uh, somebody's saying, okay, I want to go vegan, I want my family to go vegan, I, you know, what, what are we doing here? Um, you can you can start with very little, and in terms of gear, kitchen gear, um, you, you set a chopping board and a pot and a few knives and spoons, and that's how I started. Um, you don't need much, but if you in, begin to enjoy it, you'll, you can start to pick things up. But again, they don't need to be uh, anything fancy. There's, there's not really um, specialty gear in, included or in, required. It's, it is, as you say, it's just a few pans, a mixing bowl or two. Um, depends how you want to eat. Some people, especially in California, eat a raw diet. Or nearly raw diet, and I guess then they need a grater and a big salad bowl. I don't know. <laughs> um, but here in London, you know, we we have to deal with that kind of cold, chilly, wet weather as well. And so we do have soups and baked goods and things like that. Um, but honestly, I have a very basic setup, and I like it that way. My pans are 40, 50 years old. Um, I don't mind buying a pretty plate from a second-hand shop if that's if it appeals to me if, if I can make a, a dish look good on it um, so the one thing we have that I would recommend is a hand blender Do you, um, not that it blends your hand but it you hold it in your hand <laughs> it's like a stick blender oh. um, mm -hmm. for, for making smoothies or I use it in to puree soups as well and a friend gave us a milk machine, a milk making machine from Thailand, which is you can make your own plant milks, and, you know, make rice milk or soya milk or I've even made, you know, 
sesame seed milk. So it it's just a very handy uh, tool that we use, not all the time, but um, as a treat. And that's about it. I don't see that there's any need for, for a great extra purchase of any cooking gear. Mm-hmm. And um, you you call it, I believe, like uh, stocking uh, or, you know, uh, the, the larder. Uh-huh. The larder. Well, you'll have to translate larder from uh, English to English. Uh, okay. It's it's your cupboard, really, it, but it's where you store your food. Um and I do, I suppose, have quite a different sort of cupboard full of food than other people I know who don't do it in the same way. I buy, uh, I buy, uh, for instance, uh, my grains and seeds and, um, and beans and lentils in larger sacks, so like about four and a half pound sacks. And I store those in glass jars. So they, they take up a little bit of space, but they're also very pretty to look at. And the main thing is that they're very inexpensive, much less expensive than a tin of beans, for instance. And so that's a, a big, big difference for me um, because I cook things from scratch. And uh, so the larder, in my case, has a little bit more of a storehouse look to it. But in fact, it's just a couple shelves lined with these glass jars. And that's what that's where I draw things from. And then every week we go to the the market here and buy the fresh fruit and vegetables. Mm-hmm. And I, I clean those up, pop them in the fridge, and that's me set for the week. And then, um, oh, how do you answer the uh, the standard uh, basic number one question? Protein. Yes. How do you get Is that your right? Fruit? Yep. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Isn't that everybody's well, concern all the time? Yeah. It's, it is the question, isn't it? The, the people question. Ask the question. Well, I just say that I actually never worry about it. I don't, I won't say I don't think about it, but I never worry about it because protein is made of amino acids and it's, amino acids are often called the building blocks of life. So everything that is alive or once was alive contains protein. And so now I look at this abundance of food from the plant world and I realize that I don't need to worry about that. And then sure enough, when I um, looked into each individual food that I ate in the course of one week uh, and finding out the measurements that have been given for that food, in terms of its nutrient value and specifically protein, I realize that I have, uh, I can relax because I am, provided I eat a variety of preferably whole plant-based foods and provided I eat enough calories each day, I'm covered. Some days I feel, I feel like something's a little bit richer in protein than other days. So some days I will have tempeh uh, or I'll have a little bit of tofu in a salad and that does it for me but given that I use a lot of lentils and beans which are again very high in protein as a food source I really don't worry about it ever 
Yeah, you don't see the the millions and millions of vegans around the world crawling through the streets, you know, crawling, calling for protein. I need protein. There's there's no <laughs> there's no real protein deficiency disease among vegans, and I often um, ask uh, ask the question back to people. Well, how do you avoid your protein, or how do you avoid your animal protein specifically? Because in the China study, T. Colin Campbell. Um, talks yeah. about and and on my show, I, I mean, I think I, I can never re- remember the percentage, but he said something like um, at least eighty percent. He may have said ninety percent, but okay, on the low side, I'll say at least eighty percent of fatal degenerative degenerative disease is caused by animal protein and not much of it, and it seems to trigger cancer in people, and so yeah. it's like well. If you're going to worry about protein, I say worry about how you avoid your animal protein. And there's protein in in everything. There's protein in That's broccoli right. and, like you mentioned, the the beans. The yeah. You know, so we're yeah. Yeah. It's not a problem. I would say it's it's a the question is is a problem sometimes. <laughs> I get you know it it is perennial, isn't it? It it's over and over again. But. Um, Mm. It's good to just put it out front and just say, that's the question, that's the answer. Right, um, right. Okay. I, like, I like your retort, too. <laughs> well, you know, it's, uh, you, you get a certain perspective being vegan for so many years where you, yes. you look at things and you say, why are you asking this? You should be asking that. And, you know, like, yes. you know, and it's like, you know, if, if uh, you're worried about, you know, health and being vegan, well, already, like, you know, look at how many millions of people have died from heart disease and cancer. You yeah. know, I mean, it's like, you know, uh, but uh, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so we, we haven't really looked at the food um, or the recipes in your book. And really what would be most fascinating would be to like go through. I mean, OK, so let, let's hear what the 200 recipes are, because they sound so interesting but i you know i wouldn't i i don't think we can do 200 but maybe no. we can. <laughs> well you know well, <laughs> or, uh, but you have you have breakfast it... you have lunch you have supper you have uh you know dinner you have celebrations and you know again uh well what why don't you go through some of your you know your okay. favorites or whatever but you know there are unique things here like okay well i've had you know, scrambled tofu for breakfast. I love that, you know, but, yeah. you know, I've never had bubble and squeak, whatever that is, or, you know. <laughs> okay. Uh, but, uh, yeah, and then um, I, I'd like to address some of those uh, recipes that have words in them that I've never heard or don't even know what they are. But let me let me have you take us through, you know, some of the favorite uh uh, most tempting, you know, breakfast, lunch, dinner, celebration food, okay. Uh, you know. Okay. <laughs> you know, and and you have okay. regular things there too. You know, like I said, you have. I have lots of chocolate chip cookies, pizza, lasagna, like all of that stuff, and then a lot of things that sound more exotic or have ingredients that perhaps we, you know, haven't often used. You know, and maybe it would be fun. To uh, have a uh, you know a mung bean pate, which I, you know, I mean I, yeah, you know, and and the food looks great. So I I you know as I was going through the book, I'm thinking, 
I, I want this now. I want the, I want I want a little <laughs> of everything. So oh, may, that's maybe nice. you can start overnighting me, you know, food that you're <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Well, I should just repeat that um these are family favorites, so most of them are really quite quick and and quite easy to make because they have to fit in with family life, but they're also varied and tried to cover all the bases as far as um you know what what people have preferred at different times in their life um what season it is um as you say celebrations and so forth so um if if i go to the breakfast menu one of the things we're we're eating a lot of at the moment is there it's called full madamas with tahini and orange and these are uh a bean that's a fava bean really um and it's just prepared with garlic and a little bit of chili flakes and some tomato and uh, also an orange and then a, a dressing of tahini and for a really robust breakfast one that's warming and it's going to sustain you for at least till noon um it's a wonderful way to start the day we serve it with pita bread or another form of homemade bread so Mm-hmm. And then I see I see sweet potato puffs, onion and yeah. potato flip, bubble and squeak. You have to tell me what's bubble okay. and squeak. Okay. Well, that's a that's English and it's I don't know why it's called that, but it's the it's the leftovers from a roast vegetable dinner. So let's say Sunday you cook up, you know, your roast potatoes, roast parsnips and carrots and beetroot and there's a bit of everything left over. So you put that in the fridge and in the morning, Monday morning, first thing you must do is is chop an onion and start to cook that and then chop all the remaining vegetables and add them to the onion with a bit of chili pepper or black pepper and maybe a few greens that are fresh like a, a few Brussels sprouts that haven't been cooked yet just to to liven it up in that green way. and that's breakfast or to have that beside a portion of baked beans or baked beans on toast um or even a i've i've made a a dry mix called the quick patty cake mix you can tell who named that that would be a child um and it's a dry mix that you rehydrate and it takes about 10 minutes and then you shape it into a patty or a, a sausage shape and you cook that and serve that with the bubble and squeak. And this is a uh when you put those things together it's an English breakfast, a, a hot English breakfast or some people call it a full English breakfast. But of course it's without any of the animal products which would include animals. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, that's good to, good to exclude them. So yeah. yeah, I see banana bread, apple butter, plum butter, you know, so um very very uh, i want yeah. it all i want it all at uh, the moment i'm i'm making a lot of tempeh have you ever made it or had it i've had it yes uh uh-huh. yeah. yeah yeah um there's a supplier here who who sells the starter and so i've been given some of that and i mix it with the cooked beans and kind of press it together and then put it in a warm place and it it within about 24 hours it turns into this amazing tempeh so we've been having um TLTs you know the tempeh lettuce and tomato sandwich 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, like a BLT, only with a Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and uh, what is tempeh? Uh, people may be listening and going, well, what do you mean that's tempeh? An, it's an Indonesian dish, um, completely vegan. Um, they, can, they, they make it with many, many different beans and grains or sometimes a mixture. But uh, most people are familiar with it because it's uh, made from soya beans. And it includes uh, a mold. And I know that's a disgusting sounding thing, but it's a way of fermenting the bean um, in a process that includes this mold that forms the pressed beans into a cake. And in the process of their their fermentation or their 24-hour period in the warmth, they begin to convert the protein in the soybeans so that it's much easier to digest because a lot of people have trouble with soya. Um, it has a very large protein molecule, and for some people, especially some children, it creates an allergic response. And so uh, the, this process, um, which, which is a very ancient process, um, co- it begins to convert the protein so that it's very easy to digest. And what I do is, is you just slice it once it's ready and saute it. And then I, I can either put it in the TLT or I can marinate it. I, I make some marinade with ginger and uh, soy sauce of some sort and vinegar or lemon juice and just uh, let the tempeh absorb those flavors for a couple of hours and then serve it. Sounds great. And then do you have a, uh, so the the, the uh, traditional uh, BLT turned into a TLT, um, do you have some sort of uh, mayonnaise alternative on that? Uh, or uh, um, I, well, put, I put well, veginase on my lettuce, okay. tomato, and veginase sandwich. Yeah. Um, not everyone's keen on the mayo idea. Um, there, there are a lot of vegan mayos on the market i know that i've included a sort of bodge for one in the book because sometimes i've not been able to go out and get any but i sort of want it so i've made a um i called it tofu mayo in the book um that's a, a spread that's very similar to mayo um so that and anything else i've used a little bit of mustard as well that helps with the to, to kind of draw all the flavors together in that mm-hmm. sandwich. And uh, I think uh, if uh, people are looking for tempeh in the market, I think tofurkey. Um, okay. You know, there's a tofurkey uh, puts puts out a tempeh uh, that people can buy, ready-made. Okay, so let's uh, let's keep going through. Uh, you know, you have uh, 200 uh, recipes. I think we probably hit on two or three. Let's. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, garden nettle soup. I'm seeing here. Uh, nettles. I've never. I've never. I don't think. Have I ever eaten nettles? I don't, what are nettles? What are? Oh, you know what nettle? Those are the things that sting you in the garden, or in a forest, or something. They're they're a weed, but they're the, amongst the most nutritious food, and they're very very good for the land. Um, very good to make into compost. People make cloth out of them as well because they have strong fibers and they're very, very medicinal. So it's a win, win all over the 
all over with that plant. And in the spring, not, not, so, not too long from now, when the nettles are just three or four inches high, um, you can pick a few of them and use gloves when you do that. Bring them home, wash them quickly, and just use a, a pair of tongs to prepare them, wash them, drain them, and put them in the hot broth. And it's a gorgeous soup that also is rich in minerals, uh, including iron. So it doesn't sting your mouth? Uh, you put them in the soup and they soften up? They don't sting anymore, huh? They don't sting anymore, no. They will sting you right up to the last minute. So that's why I say use uh, tongs when you're moving them around in the kitchen. But once they've cooked, uh, that there's no sting involved at all. I see you have them in an omelet also, a nettle and chive yes. omelet in your book. So, yes. And, and it's, of course, an egg-free omelet. It is. So. It's That's made with tofu. Mm-hmm. And I think some shredded shredded vegetables go with it. Okay. Um, all right. So I see a few things here. And as I mentioned, you have, you know, regular things that, you know, Everybody knows, but um, so let's see. There's a garlic and artichoke. You tell me, conchigli. Now I'm going to show like what a okay. <laughs> what now? Now what a non uh, connoisseur I might be considered to be with some of these. So what's uh, what's the word there? <laughs> conchigli. Conchigli. It's okay. it's a it's a, a shape of pasta. It's it's a little shell, oh. and it it happens to hold the garlic and artichoke sauce that I make for it. It holds it very well, and that's why I have specified it. But you could use anything. You could use macaroni, or you could use spaghetti. Um, but again, my uh, part of the fun I've had over the years is to explore what's available, and that's. That's been a delight in London, especially because there are so many ethnic shops, and um, just being such a cosmopolitan city, if I, if you persist, you can find little places that sell unusual ingredients. And that's not to say they're expensive, but they're just in a def- different area of town, or uh, they're unexpected. You didn't know even know they were there in your local area. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, you have grilled orange um, with what? I can't. Uh... With with maple syrup. Oh yeah, okay, I see that grilled yeah. orange. So you're grilling oranges? Yes, what? you quarter them, but you leave them in the in their peel, and you just heat the grill, and slide them under it. I don't know, ten minutes maybe, depends on your grill, and then allow them to cool just enough so you can handle them. And then hold them close, peel the edges of the little quarter away from you, and pop it in your mouth. And it's such an intense flavor. It's delicious. And you can dress it with a bit of maple syrup or um, barley malt syrup if you prefer that. And then some ground nuts as well, walnuts or, or pecans or whatever you prefer. Okay. What is G R E C H I E 
T-T-E. <laughs> Where are you? P-R-E. G-R-E. Is it grechette uh, uh, with garlic, basil, and toasted C-O-U-R-G-E-T-T-E? Grechette. Uh, see, this is terrible. Like, okay. What? Okay, <laughs> I'm I'm trying to <laughs> maybe it's my spelling ability, isn't it? No, it isn't so am, am I or am I reading this wrong? I'm, I I I jotted it down, so it's either G R E C H or is it O R E C H? No. Orecchietti. Oh, Orecchietti. okay. Yeah. There you go. That's a, another little pasta, and that means little ear, and it's made uh, by pressing the pasta dough with your thumb. I have not personally made it, but I have seen it made. And it's just from a certain part of Italy called Puglia. And um, that's where I first had the dish, uh, a dish with orecchietti in it. Okay, so it again is just uh, an experiment to kind of celebrate the fact that there's this variety in the pastas. Mm -hmm. And that's what it is. All right. Oh, I see that uh, you, you did have a recipe here for a tempeh, tempeh crisps in pomegranate glaze. So. Yeah. <laughs> there's, a, there's pomegranate molasses. It's it, You just buy it in a little bottle, and a, a tablespoon of that goes a huge distance. So you don't need much, and it just combines beautifully with sautéed tempeh. Okay, so I, I interrupted you with... Uh, you know, words that I didn't really know what they were, they usually turn out to be some form of pasta here. But I, I did want you to continue talking a bit about, you know, some of the favorites that you have there. You, you know, I think maybe we covered breakfast, but you, you have sandwiches, you have lunch, you have dinner, you have celebration foods uh, that you have in your book here. I haven't mentioned the book uh the book title in a while, but we're talking to Peggy Brousseau, and uh, her book is The Contented Vegan, Recipes and Philosophy from a Family Kitchen. Peggy is talking to us today on Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden, and so, um, and there are like 200 recipes or so in the book, and there, there are photos of them, and it kind of makes you want to have each and every one of them, basically. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, Thank you so, very much. Well, yeah, t take us uh, on a, a little more of a tour of, uh, of the menu here. So. Okay. Well, I've I've included a number of different soups for all seasons, um, and some of them are thick and beany and like bean and barley soup or white bean soup, and you've already mentioned the nettle soup. There's one that's a favorite of mine called certainty soup. And that is more of a broth with lots of chunks in it. Um, and the, lots these, of chunks that, of what? Or, or are we uncertain? Okay. <laughs> no, that we're certain what they are. Uh, it's, every, it's a very textured soup in that um, there's nothing pureed. It has little chunks of tofu. It has ginger, garlic, onions, carrots, um, seaweed, greens, um, it's just very, very textured, and but all of this in a in a broth, so you can see everything that you're eating. It's not a puree, and it's one of those soups that 
when I get the urge to make it, I could almost finish the whole thing. There's something about it that feels so nourishing. Um, so it's one of my favorites. And I was really pleased to be able to fit it in. Mm -hmm. I've just finished with the pumpkin season over here, making lots of pumpkin soups, which I make with a parsnip included to, to kind of bring out the sweet flavor. So um, lots and lots of soups, some pasta dishes, as you've already pointed out. Um, a number of pies or flans or tarts, depending on how you want to call them. Um, and for that, I've made a, a couple of different recipes for the pastry, because often pastry is, is not vegan. And some of it I can buy, um, it contains palm oil, and I'm a bit reluctant to use that. So I've, I've created recipes for the pastries as well. And I've enjoyed doing that because I wanted not only to encourage people to shift towards a plant-based diet, but to feel that anything is possible, that even some of their family favorites, their old favorites, um, the, the, even the dishes they've grown up with that are meat-based or animal-based, um, they can achieve them, but just with a few changes to the ingredients. So I really wanted to cover all the bases in that way. You and have muffins, you have cornbread. Yes. Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's a yeah. favorite. Huh? So. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And sweet rolls. We did Sunday sweet rolls. And that's that's a, another it's a rare treat, but because it's very sweet. But it's a standard, isn't it, for families to to or just people in general to I want to say read the papers on Sunday, but nobody does that anymore, do they? No, they stare at their screen, but they do that every yeah. day. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All day long. So. One thing I've used as well, Bob, is seaweed, perhaps a little bit more than many people are familiar with. But when I first came to Britain, um, I realized that, that, that there was this, this influence of seaweed in the diet still and it wasn't I would, would say it wasn't a very appealing influence but I was interested in it and so I explored all these what was available for in terms of seaweed and of course nowadays it's delivered mostly by the Japanese uh, shops that you know who cater to Japanese cuisine um, but I find that it really adds a richness to a lot of the soups and the sauces, and I've got a, uh, what is it called, potato and seaweed cutlet, I think, mm. that, that mm -hmm. um, it, just, it just lifts it, makes a, makes a real difference to it. So I've enjoyed including seaweed a little bit in many of the dishes, not in an overwhelming way or, or in huge amounts, but just to add the nutrient value, and it, it often also can deliver things like softness to the beans or um, a bit of thickness to a broth as well as its flavor and and its nutrient value mm -hmm. okay. lasagna yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah tomato sauce vegetable yeah. broth you know I mean uh, you yeah. have you've covered uh, 
lots of bases here. Uh, how about yeah. celebration foods or? Oh, we got chocolate, orange, and almond cake. That's that's mm. the go-to for birthdays, birthday cakes. Mm -hmm. That's right, right towards the back of the book. And there's also a family history fruit cake, um, which is exactly as I describe. It's it's an a, an adjustment to ingredients to make it vegan. Um, but the, the the recipe itself comes back, I think, four or five generations. So, so you, you you say um, well you you have uh, two sons uh, who yes have been vegan all their lives and uh, yes. and what's what's their what are their ages? They're young adults now, and they've both continued with that diet. Um, I'm sure that they've you know been offered. Well, I know they've been offered animal-based foods, um, but I feel that you know having got them to adulthood on the diet that that was a, a good job done mm -hmm. pa partly because of what I mentioned earlier the the idea of primordial prevention for the sort of degenerative diseases of our time but also just because uh, it it was a harmonious uh, pathway there there was you know uh, there was no, there were no problems to say, I don't want to do this anymore, or um, or why can't I have this when everyone else is having that? Um, because we answered questions along the way, and we told the truth um, as best we could f for why we were following this diet and what made us persist in it, and what benefits we thought it had. And as well, uh, developing ways of eating that just appeared very similar to everyone else's meals, not only helped in making making our family feel, okay, this is fine, <laughs> there's not a problem here, but also when people came to eat with us, they felt comfortable. And so and what, what when are people your... feel comfortable, they... Go ahead. When people feel comfortable, they relax a bit and they start to ask questions or um, bring up issues that they were perhaps hesitant to bring up before. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I mean, one, once you know this, I mean, I, I think it it might be hard to, to feed one's children meat, dairy, fish and eggs and knowing, you know, the, the health risks. I mean, my... Had my mother known, I don't think you know she would have fed me what what I ate the the heart no. attack the heart attack diet basically you know which uh, you know my father died at age forty seven of a heart attack all of his brothers and sisters uh, had heart disease and so we thought uh, in the family genes but they were all eating the same uh, basic uh, heart attack diet so once you really know about the health benefits it should make one think about what's being fed to the children and you know yes you know i mean so you want them to be this happy is, and healthy in the future and you know. that's right uh, i mean we just said that this is we eat this in this way in our family i mean i would feel and, guilty you know if i were a vegan parent and saying like okay now i'm gonna give my child chicken i i couldn't do it because no you know, no uh, no yeah trying to do the well, best for the kids. Exactly. 
No, but when when they ask what is that that I've just been offered, what is a nugget or what is a this or that, um, we were we didn't try and name it with a euphemism. We we said what it was, and that appeared to be enough mm-hmm. because they might be children, but they're not stupid. Yeah, de- decomposing animal body parts, you know. Hey, exactly. I said, it I said decomposing uh, animal body part, you know, with with path- pathogens and you know, sp- sprinkled with fecal matter, probably, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yeah. Okay, so now do you want to have a nugget? No. So. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, and so, what are their favorite vegan foods now, or, or you know? Now they that seem, they are healthy they, young adults. They seem to be kind of the same, actually. Um, they, they're not family favorites here for nothing, <laughs> <laughs> but they do have they do like uh, Mediterranean foods, like um, the falafel, the hummus, um, the the salads that include olives and um, pita bread that's unleavened, uh, and they also seem to like food from the Indian subcontinent, the cuisine of, you know, rice and dal, um, some of the chutneys and um, curries from that cuisine. Mm-hmm. And uh, you have Indian food in the book? I don't really. I have one, which uh, I, it is, it, it's a very simple dal made with red lentils, so it's very quick to cook, a very pretty yellow Dish that you you, know, you serve it with the greens and rice, and that is a an ongoing favorite for everyone here. Yes. Mm-hmm. So and you, have, and you have chutney, right? Yes, but the chutney, um, I suppose that is an Indian term, but I I make use of really foods that are grown here in Britain. So I'm sure that there are some of the spices and and herbs that I use in that would not be what they would use in the on the Indian. Indian subcontinent. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in your book you have um, you have a section called "Thinking Deeper." Yeah. Tell us a bit about that. Well, uh, that's towards the end of the book. The assumption was that by the time people got that far, <laughs> they would be open to discussions of environment, animal rights, um, things that moved away from personal health to health of animals and the planet. And that's what it's about. It includes um, a, a, pair, a little piece on dogs and cats being fed a vegan diet, which is a very controversial issue, but very well supported that it can be healthy and successful. And I've tried to discuss in that section, thinking deeper, um, concepts and uh, terms, turns of phrase that people may have heard, like speciesism and um, deep ecology. And then, as I say, just talking about how how we approach nature and how we consider ourselves separate from it rather than a part of it and what really are we doing when we act collectively in such a domineering manner not not just to the animals but to the whole planet to every 
kind of, to the whole network of life forms that make up our world when we act to dominate them and adjust them to suit what we think is the best for ourselves what are we actually doing to them and to it and to ourselves and I wanted to just put these issues down as an introduction really to encourage people to think about them and not be fearful of approaching them not be fearful of what might happen to them if they do have a thought about um, maybe we're heading in the wrong direction in many ways and maybe we can make some adjustments to the way we live. That's well, what that section is about. Well, I'm, I'm very happy that you uh, included that. Uh, yes. Really, really good to see. Uh, um, so that's uh, thinking deeper and you, you talk about how to make a food chain. Yes. Uh, well, it, that's that's quite a fundamental understanding to to try and gain. I think is is where where have we positioned ourselves? First of all, what is a food chain? How does it where does it start and where does it end? <laughs> and how does it? Well, we work? think of ourselves we're then, on the top of the food chain and the animals are below yeah. us, right? So that's yeah. uh, that's what we think of a food chain. So yes, but we also think that we are apex predators which are a very particular position on the top of the food chain and they are totally reliant on plant-based foods but they can only get them by eating other creatures they can only get the, the nutrients that a plant-based uh, diet delivers by eating but they don't have a choice we do and I wanted to point that out. <laughs> and it, it is only an introduction, Bob, because it's, it's, you know, space is limited. But I wanted to bring in that question, really, of where do you want to position yourself? Do you want to be a, a solitary creature at the top of the food chain, demanding that everyone else funds your life, which is kind of what we're doing at the moment? Or can you not see we can be direct consumers and eat directly from the plant-based world mm. and leave the, the, the rest to the animals as they deserve it. Mm -hmm. uh, we're, we're told um, by a study from um, Joseph Poor at uh, Oxford University that the uh, um, only way to stop the current uh, mass extinction is that human population shift to vegan because we use mm -hmm. so much land we could reduce land by 75 percent and still feed all humans and uh, then that's right yeah open land the size of africa for reforestation and species recovery and so it uh, it really is the key how about life in the color green um that's really to remind people if uh, about the extraordinary fact of what plants do and how they're how important they are and how they they are fundamental to not just our existence but to the, to the whole shebang and and just to remind them of that that, that is the starting point and it can be also the only 
the, the stopping point as well. We can, we can, that's enough for us. We can have that and that's enough for us. But I wanted to just describe how photosynthesis works and the importance of green in our life. And as I scan the book, I also see you have something called butterfly power. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, that, that's in a section called On a Knife Edge. And it's a response to um, late in, 19, in 2019, the Alliance of World Scientists um, published a letter of warning. Um, it is a declaration that planet Earth is facing a climate emergency. And it, it's a very, very powerful letter. It's been signed by... I think more than 13,000 scientists from like 150 something countries. Um, so it's not just uh, somebody's idea of maybe this will fly. It's it's a very concerted effort. It's a message to humanity to to sort this out. We have an emergency in our in our hands, and we have to deal with it. And in it, they describe six areas that need urgent attention, urgent action taken. And butterfly power is my, my urging uh, uh, to the reader to say, well, you can be worried about this or you can act on it. And you might feel that you're powerless because you're just one person sitting in your kitchen somewhere. But in fact, and I use the... Um, the butterfly effect from Edward Lorenz. You know, he's the he's the guy who said, "Does the butterfly flapping its wings in Brazil set off a tornado in Texas?" Mm -hmm. That's the butterfly effect. So I I just likened it to that. That if we act, pretend we're the butterfly, flap our wings, do something, we can make a difference to how this, this is all going. We can help to mitigate the crises that we're facing at the moment. And we mitigate it. We, we actually solve it by, by going vegan. So if we're saying that there's an emergency and we see that emergency related to the climate, climate change, deforestation, desertification, resource depletion, pollution, all of those are tied to animal agriculture. Animal agriculture, yes. the number one cause of climate change, responsible for at least 51% of all human-generated gener greenhouse gas emissions, according to Goodland and Anhang at the World Bank, and according to uh, Dr. Silesh Rao of uh, Climate Healers, he, he estimates 87%. Uh, so yeah. if, if there is an emergency... Maybe maybe I need to to have you join me, Peggy, in, in trying to get people to go vegan now, today, because the solution is not with politicians, it's not with government. They're they're never gonna solve these problems. And yet we're told if the human population went vegan, we'll go back to pre industrial carbon levels. So it's yes, actually going right. vegan is kind of an emergency. So it's like yes. an emergency to enjoy, you know, the plum butter in your book or what, you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> it's, not, it's yeah. not like you have to sacrifice. It's like, no, it's going to get better. Like exactly. we can save the world 
and we saved the world by eating. So that's what's amazing yeah. about vegans. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> vegans are the yes. world superhero, and and they save the world by eating. I mean, that's there pretty we amazing, go. right? So. That is, and I, and I guess we wear a green leotard as well, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> so and so so I really so it's it's great seeing it in your book and I I like that you you talk about sentience and suffering that animals have rights to and that that belongs in you know the that belongs in a cookbook you know so how could Thank we be you. how could we be totally contented without you know looking looking at those issues so um well it all rolls together doesn't it when when we talk we think about health we think about um animals we think about the environment we think about our need to eat and feel you know the pleasure we derive from that you can have it all yeah and it, it, it does all roll to together everything. i mean so so exactly you know, it's, it's yes. all about life life all the connections to life are through vegan i who, who would have thought that i mean yeah you know, it's yes. like it's it's about everything that's what that's yeah. why i have a show on now for 20 years you know when i first started somebody said to me okay after a couple of weeks you know what's there to talk about you know it's like yeah. 20 years later i haven't gotten to anything yet you know what i yeah. mean it's like still yeah. because it's about everything and uh, yeah. and it solves everything or as close to everything as anything can solve if we if we do go vegan yes and so all right so the, so the people who who listen to the show and often have said okay you've convinced me i have to go vegan now what do i eat well you can get Peggy's book. It's called The Contented Vegan, Recipes and Philosophy from a Family Kitchen. Peggy Brousseau, how do people get your book? Um, in the U.S., they can order it from the Book Larder, which is a, a special bookshop in Seattle, or from Amazon, or they can order it from my website, which is PeggyBrousseau.com. B-R-U-S-S-E-A-U. Um, That's it. And so you say in the U.S., but there are people listening all over the world here. So what should they do? Go to your website? Go to the website. Yes, please. Okay. PeggyBrousseau.com? That's it. Okay. Did we cover anything? Did we leave out anything? Any? Little, oh, well, anything? we've done a good job, I think, Bob. Okay. All right. So, uh, well, well, we'll know if we've done a good job if uh, everybody goes vegan and... Uh, you know, enjoys eating, you know, so, you know, my, my radio show you know, was on a number of stations, including in Los Angeles on, uh, it was a K talk, which was part of the air America radio network it was on the air America network for a while. And then individually on K talk in Los Angeles and um, the sales manager at KTLK and, and my sales representative, all they wanted to do was, was go to lunch with me because we'd go to this <laughs> restaurant in the valley. <laughs> and they, they were saying, if, if this is vegan, I, I can do this. I can, I can eat like this, yes. you know. So yes. that's, that's the whole secret for people who think that, you know, we're just eating iceberg lettuce or cardboard or whatever. That's wow, right. are you in for a surprise? We are the foodies. And you can eat chocolate, too. That would, you get anything. Lots of yeah. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh yes yeah no it's all about flavors and color as well i, I love that about it mm -hmm. you know yeah. there's so much di diversity in the, in the, the plant world that we can enjoy exactly all right okay well daisy is looking at me saying it's time for a walk daisy my the love of my life uh uh 
vegan chihuahua. She's been vegan for oh, eight nice. years, so, you know, very oh, happy good. eating her. Um, she likes uh, evolution uh, dog and cat food. She likes the canned variety there, and somehow uh, Eric Weissman has gotten the Gotten the, gotten the recipe down to where she's happy with it every day, you know. So, and then she also eats Fantastic. a lot of she eats a lot of what I might be making too, you know, whatever. Yes. Sweet potatoes, lentils, yams, rice, whatever, you know. She, yeah. She's into it. She likes tofu. So, we're yeah. just a little happy vegan family here, and you're a happy little Wonderful. vegan family in London. Right? So. Yes, I am. <laughs> Bob, it's been great. Well, thank you, Peggy. I really appreciate it, and uh, thanks for, um, you know, publishing such a, a, a very helpful book. This is, you know, a tool to help people go vegan. Again, I highly recommend it, the, uh, the Contented Vegan. Thanks, Peggy. Thanks so much, Bob. Take okay. care. You too. Okay, our thanks to Preg, uh, to Peggy Brousseau, author of for being with us today on Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden. And uh, you can be a contented vegan too, uh, just by being vegan. Again, there's a certain basic contentment that you have just by being vegan and knowing that you are not participating in the violence and killing of animals and the violence against animals and the killing of animals and the imprisonment of animals and the torture of animals you know the the kind of actions that are encouraged by the bogus animal rights movement out there cancel it cancel the animal rights movement now what a fraud you know as we have seen so many institutions in this country are are a complete fraud are, are corrupt and uh why wouldn't the animal rights movement be fraudulent and corrupt too? With so much money to be made, why wouldn't it be the case, right? Okay. All right, back to the uh, contentment and uh, being, con being that contented vegan as I am, knowing that I'm not participating in violence against animals, that I'm doing what's right for the environment. Animal agriculture is the number one cause of climate change, responsible for at least 51% of all human-generated greenhouse gas emissions, according to Robert Goodland and Jeff Anhang at the World Bank, and uh, up to 87% of human-generated greenhouse gas emissions. If you go by what Dr. Silesh Rao says, he of uh, climate healers, and so the contentment of... Uh, you know, the saving the animals, the planet, and your health going with being vegan. Okay, um, thanks again for being with us. And please do support us with your donation at GoVeganRadio.com.